Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. All right, Evan. Welcome back, buddy. I'm not glad to be back. You just left me alone with Brad for, what was it, three episodes? Four? Sunday... Wednesday, Sunday, so three. three. Yeah, yeah. yeah that Probably felt like four. <laughs> <laughs> it did feel like four. All right, let's get it out of the way. How was your trip? It was Just awesome. Us. Um, yeah, played some like ridiculous golf courses. Played mostly like shit, but uh, I came home to Whistle Bear and uh, it was like one over today. So you know just goes to show how much harder golf is out there. But um, yeah, it was sick. Um, we played this one course actually. If I if I may. Get into it, it very slightly. Get into it. Um, I'm not going to say the course because I don't want other people to find out where it is. Um, but I, it's two hours outside Kelowna and you prepay everything before you even show up. So you pull up to this place and it's got like the smallest sign ever. If you weren't looking, you'd miss it. They give you a, a code to open the gate and you go in and there's one girl just sitting there with like 10 carts. And you say, oh, we're part of this group. They're like, all right, well, just go up the hill and and pull up to the first tee. I was like, oh, is there like a pro shop or anything? No, no pro shop. No nothing. So the whole shtick of this course is that it's supposed to be like a private, like intimate golf experience. Like you found this golf course in the middle of nowhere and it's just amazing. Guess how many golfers they had out that day? 20. 38 golfers on the golf course they purposely limit the number of people that can play and they don't have they have like the tee blocks cut for like you know the back or for pros the front or the social tees whatever but at their course it's a match play course so you can play any of the blocks you want at any time so if you're on the sixth hole and you want to play the front tees and make your partner play first because you don't know how to play the hole that's part of the their shtick as well. So um, it was really cool. It's it's in the middle of nowhere. It was hard as hell. The putting was ridiculous. I've got a putt up a video of me putting backwards up a hill, and it actually almost goes in the hole. It was uh, it was an unexpected bill for Brad and I to have to outbid the Saudis to pull you back from the Live Golf Tour and bring you back to the Wing Wheel. That's podcast. right. At, at this point, I'm only a few line line <laughs> items away on that uh, Excel spreadsheet from getting the phone call. Trust me, my price is a lot lower than what they're paying those guys. Uh, it's a big big change for Brad and I. Speaking of that, Brad, uh, you sound and look terrible, buddy. How are you feeling? Exactly as you described. If you guys haven't picked it up already by uh, the change in audio, we're doing a remote episode because Brad has uh, something unholy going on in his body. So he's going to be muting a lot and having coughing fits. You're a trooper for going through this episode. Uh, folks, finally a full roster uh, again, but not uh, exactly in studio. So thanks for bearing with us. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL and beyond. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm kind of here, Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, another contender has been added to the pool of uh, potential 
really notable um, head coaches that Steve Eisman might take a look at for Detroit's vacant head coaching position. There's been a lot going on in the world of hockey with Edmonton being eliminated. There's questions about their future roster. Uh, we're going to be taking a look back uh, at a prospect who's really circling around the number eight spot, especially considering position and one that probably deserves a second look from us uh, for today's prospect profile. We'll give that playoff update. We'll talk about some NHL news, including our first ever Jeff Blashill rumor. So that's fun. And then we'll uh, get into overtime. Before I do that, I want to call out a couple call out a couple things. The Wind Wheel podcast uh, is really, really, really overjoyed. Is I'm talking about us in the third person. We're really overjoyed about um, the way Wings Money on the Board has gone this past season. That was something an initiative we set up in conjunction with our good friend Prashant Iyer. We are going to hit. I'm not going to say we're hoping to. We are going to hit that thirty thousand dollars stretch goal for the season, uh, potentially after Maurice Sider gets announced as a Calder winner. Fingers crossed. And uh, if not that, then our flannels, they're on the way. The Custom Winged Wheel Podcast, Mickey Redmond approved flannels that you saw us wearing at Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. Uh, those are on their way. So my uh, dining room currently is stacked with a, a ton of flannels that need to go off uh, into the world. So stay tuned for that. That is coming. And then uh, we'll send that that link out so you guys can can get your Mickey Redmond style wing wheel podcast flannels and a portion of the proceeds from every sale will benefit the Jamie Daniels foundation directly, which we're very happy to do. Secondly, uh, if you haven't already, the, if I were Steve Eisenman series by Prashant Thayer is up on the wingwheelpodcast.com blog. The link is in the episode description as well. Take a look. The third part is all about the draft. So very, very relevant right now. Okay. Red Wings news. Let's start with a positive thing. Uh, Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond, recognized by fan vote um, by an article on The Athletic by Sean Shapiro and Harmon Dial, um, fan vote as the number one broadcasting team in the NHL. So that is Ken Daniels, Mickey Redmond, and the Valley Sports Detroit crew, our good friends over there. Congratulations to them. Really, really, really well-deserved. Obviously, all of us know the fantastic work that Ken and Mick have given us and it's actually really impressive that they're getting this kind of recognition when the team is in the gutter. Like this team is in the dumpster. They're not getting a lot of like national looks. You know, there aren't clips of national or there aren't clips of Red Wings broadcast being played nationally and everything. So um, the fact that they're getting that kind of recognition really speaks to their talent and what they bring to the broadcast. Imagine if the Red Wings were good right now, how much more prominent everything would be. So uh, congrats to our good friends, Ken and Mick. Okay, somehow related to the Red Wings, what is going on in Boston? We this knew. Is, this is the stealth tank to end all stealth tanks. <laughs> if Boston tanks and they get a top three pick after all those years of competition and then they quickly turn around and start competing again, I don't know what I'll do, but it'll be bad. I'll punch a hole through something. Maybe it'll be in Boston. Maybe not. Maybe the drywall behind Devin's house. I know how much, how difficult that was to put in for him, but they, it, it seems that way, right? So the Bruins after the playoffs, I think it was it Sweeney or Neely. They had some really choice words about Bruce Cassidy, their now former head coach. And you're kind of like, is Bruce Cassidy on the hot seat? And he was. He has been let go. So uh, Bruce Cassidy relieved of his duties as head coach of the Boston Bruins. 
and it, there's already rumors of David Pasternak potentially being on the trading block. There's the assumption that Patrice Bergeron is gone. You know, just I think a couple of days. Brad ago, Marchand's undergoing hip surgery. Charlie McAvoy's got a shoulder surgery or something. I th- maybe I have those two backwards. So the the dark clouds are are forming over Boston. Uh, Grizzlicks out till November or December. Like they are missing a lot of players until at least two months into the season, and that's assuming you know Bergeron doesn't come back at all. Here's the thing, you know, for all my criticisms of the way Boston's being run right now and managed, and I have quite a few, and all of it goes back to those three straight first round picks that they had. Um, I don't even disagree with the idea of what they're doing in essence. Maybe the the what's about it, I, I don't necessarily think would be the best moves if it shakes out the way the rumors are going, which I mean, it's hockey rumors, it never does. But, you know, a flash tank with the notion of competing right after, it's not a terrible idea, especially when you know you're losing key players for your franchise for months into the season. Like all those man game loss, man games lost are going to be significant. Boston's going to have a hard time making the playoffs as it looks right now. Sounds like Montreal. (laughs) I don't know if it sounds like Montreal though, because Boston's kind of in this perfect storm of, you know, the time to hit the reset button because we've seen teams countless teams and obviously this points can hit a little too close to home where they try to hang on for way too long you could see the cliff coming and then the cliff hits and then they try to climb back up for a bunch of years and it just digs you deeper and deeper into the hole which then takes longer to climb out of boston you know i think their cup windows passed if they had no injuries they brought Bruce Cassidy back, Bergeron stays another year. Do they make the playoffs next year? Yes, almost certainly. Do they win the Stanley Cup next year? Almost certainly no. So if you're, you know, an NHL team with any sort of self-respect, you know the Cup's the goal, not the playoffs. If they think this is the year they finish eighth, barely scrape in, they've got the, you know, top of the draft to end all tops of the draft with Bedard, Michkov, Fintilli, and God knows who else will emerge, Strammel, whoever. And then they get hit with their star center possibly retiring and three uh, very, very key players of their team missing significant chunks of the season due to injuries. Yeah, if there's ever a time for a flash rebuild, like all the stars have aligned for them to do that. Now, the trick is, you know, being good again next season. So it probably won't be a one season thing, but they'll be back with Marchand. And if they don't trade Pasternak, you know, Ma- uh, McAvoy's locked up long term, you know, Jeremy Swayman's young, obviously. So the, the possibility is there. That still doesn't explain the Bruce Cassidy firing to make his. By all accounts, he was a, a very demanding, but a very good coach. Apparently, he locked, got let go because of a lot of clashes with the room, and uh, apparently they didn't love the way that he developed young players, which might be a red flag for Red Wings fans right now. But yeah, you, you can get through a uh, rebuild, even if it's two, three years with the same coach, as long as, you know, expectations are clear. But, you know, I don't, I don't entirely 
hate what Boston's doing if I were a Bruins fan. But yeah, the Cassie thing is about the only weird thing right now. Well, let's talk about Bruce Cassidy because I, I think before the information came out that he was clashing with the room a bit, uh, some people were like, this, including myself, I was like, this smells a lot like cover for management because everything looks back to the, uh, oh, what year was it? 20, yeah, 2015 NHL draft where Boston had three straight picks, 13, 14, and 15. They essentially offered it to both, I th- if I'm remembering correctly, they offered it to both Edmonton and Buffalo for either first or second overall, respectively, because those two picks were McDavid and Eichel. I think the way that whole situation read was that was their plan. And when it fell through, they were just kind of like, oh. Um, so the players on the board for Boston and these weren't, this isn't like hindsight 2020. These players were well regarded at the time. A lot of people were talking about the fact that, uh, Boston could have these three players. 16, 17, and 18 were Barzell, Matthew Barzell, Kyle Connor, and Thomas Shabbat. Let's not talk about pick 19. We don't have to worry about that. Uh, who did Boston take with 13, 14, and 15? Jacob Zaboral, Jake DeBrusque. Zachary Snishin. You know, DeBrusque probably being the most successful of the three, but none of them match up to what Barzal, Connor, and Shabbat have done. Even if you get one of those guys. But realistically, you should have had two. I don't know. I think the way Boston's been run for a long time, that's a team, it's almost like the Red Wings in the mid to late 2000s where you're like, with the players you've had or the opportunities you had, you should have had more success. I think people have thought Boston is more successful than they have been, but they did just get the one cup with their core, right? They only got, they only did the thing once. So two Two more cup finals though, if I'm not mistaken, right? Ask a Red Wings fan how they feel about 09. I I know. I'm just saying though. It's in a 30, well now 32 team league. Like that's still a hell it's of good. An accomplishment. It's good. Anyhow, so I'm doing the whole retrospective thing, and and then the information came out, like you said, Brad, about uh, it looked like um, Cassidy had lost the room. There was clashes, conflicts, whatever. I can't divine what the truth is in that situation, and the reporting seems to be really reliable. So you have to take that at face value, unless you know more. Um, And that makes sense. I can't necessarily disagree with that. But let's look at this from the Red Wings perspective. There's now another really good coach on the market. One who's a coach who's won, a coach who, you know, maximizes talent on the team, at least what we've seen in terms of output for the most part. It seems like he has a reputation that would, ignoring the red flags for just a second here, fit what Eisenman is looking for in terms of a demanding coach. But getting back to those red flags to me makes me a little bit uneasy considering what's going to be important for Detroit in the coming years. So, I mean, if you're, you're embedded in the league and you're a GM interviewing these guys, it's going to matter. Uh, Elliot Friedman noted that both um, Eisenman and Cassidy are from the Ottawa area. Uh, Eisenman moved there when he was 10. I know a lot of people call it the fact that he was born in Cranbrook, but uh, he moved to the Nepean area uh, when he was around 10 years old. So is really from the Ottawa area. So there's a connection there. Is Cassie an Eisenman Eisen option in his head coaching search? Yes. Um, I won't call him my favorite option, but I won't call him a bad option. Um, because he does check the boxes of a coach that you want to win with. Cons- consistent success, um, great team defensive metrics, 
and it was year over year, right? And Boston's been had injuries. They've had problems. Obviously, they've had a good roster, but he's kept a good roster near the top of the league. Now, with the development issues, someone rattled off a long list of prospects that failed under him, and it was a long list, but none of them were notable prospects. They were all project picks in the second, third, fourth rounds, whatever. Um, but he's had DeBrusque was a success story that turned into a, now the player and the coach don't get along and he's requested a trade. Charlie McAvoy developed like almost exclusively under, um, Cassidy. So that's obviously worth something and Pasternak as well, I believe. So there's part of me that goes, yes, you can't have a team where the rookies are afraid to make mistakes. And I've heard that was one of the problems and one of the phrases they used is, you know, you can't, the young players can't be afraid to make mistakes, which I agree with. But I also believe that you can't coddle the rookies and the young players too much. It's the NHL. You're getting paid millions of dollars to be the best at a sport in the entire world. There's pressure. People are paying money. Yeah. You know, you have to learn at least a little bit trial by fire. Can coaches go to the extremes and, and ruin it one way or the other. Yeah, absolutely. Does Cassidy walk that line perfectly from the sounds of it? No, not really. But if a dude just loses his job over that and he's going into a team in the middle of a rebuild, if hypothetically the Red Wings hire him, I think he'd have an understanding that, yeah, uh, Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond and Simon Edmondson are more important to this team's future than whatever the hell he chooses to do with the veterans of the team. And I think that would probably be a crystal clear expectation from management coming in. Hey, we want to get better. We want you to win, but you can't just ignore these players. And if that's not your job and, or that's not a job you're interested in, fine. No hard feelings. Go apply somewhere else. But I don't know. I I think if the Red Wings are in the mentality of, you know what? It's time to turn the corner. We got to start winning. He's, he's definitely, we'll call him an upper tier candidate. If not, the favorite yeah in my opinion it all boils down to like you mentioned brad you need to establish what the actual mo is there in terms of how he handles young players and if it's something that you feel can be corrected then you need to nip that in the bud and get ahead of it or maybe you think it's not such a big deal as it might have been in boston and you just kind of like you said establish hey this this team is completely hinged on young players without these young players there is no Red Wings rebuild. And let, let's go a little bit, let's go a layer deeper here. The Red Wings are in a way better spot if they can, you know, unlock, and some people might be rolling their eyes when I say this, but unlock Philip Zadina. There is talent there that's not being used, and that's been a big frustration with Zadina. There's something to be said here for, I know he's not a rookie or, or even necessarily very, very young, but Philip Ronick, you need a little bit back from Philip Ronick considering how his career has progressed. Um, you need to be able to work with guys who are going to be frustrating to 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 coach. Philip Zadina, I'm sure, has not been an easy player to coach considering the output compared to the actual talent. So for me, he's an option. I, I wouldn't put him ahead of Trotz. I know someone asked, who would you prefer, Trotz or Cassidy? To me, this is a, that's still a no-brainer, but that's not a knock on Cassidy. It's almost kind of way too, too simple-minded to say, but in my mind – you go into it thinking this is a coach with a winning pedigree, Jack Adams winner, and 
a guy you know who can at least get your team there to the playoffs has always had fantastic team defense results has always had fantastic offense and special teams a lot of players on the roster that he won't find in detroit right now to to get him to those places but i digress so that's how you approach it but then you need to know what's the deal with how you're handling the clashing with the rookies is this something that's correctable or that you foresee as a problem so it's a big old question mark but definitely worth the interest in my mind for the red wings and bruce cassidy yeah and it's not like he can't develop young players like he was a coach in the ahl for like almost 500 games and he had a winning record in the ahl which is a developmental league so he must have been doing something right um yeah i think that kind of stuff is all very much dependent on player and coach relationship and it varies between player and coach every time and you know i think some of that will end up falling on boston's inability to draft like i would be frustrated too with rookies who just aren't living up to where they're drafted like it's not it's not fair on the guys where they get drafted but i mean i could see bruce cassidy expecting them to come in and and be ready to go kind of thing um so i I don't know i don't know if i think a whole lot about or put too much stock into that um yeah i think he's behind barry trotz he might be the best available coach it's i forgot to mention it earlier when ryan brought it up but now that evan brought it up again it's worth mentioning just because Sinishin, Zaboral, and DeBrusque were bad picks at the time doesn't mean that they were crazy picks. Like, you know, sometimes teams jump way off the board and then, you know, whatever, and then some guys don't pan out, some guys do. No, they reached on all three of them. Like, they were not the consensus 13, 14, 15 picks. I think two of them weren't even ranked in most first rounds. So, yeah, it, it is worth noting that they were long shots to begin with, uh, despite where they were picked. And Jake DeBrusque scored 25 goals this year. With a trade with request. With a trade request. So, yeah. and, you know, uh, Charlie McAvoy under his tenure has turned into potentially a Norris finalist at some point. Um, like, I really, I really don't think there's a lot of issues. Uh, unless there's something well behind closed doors that none of us are privy to. I, I don't really see it a whole lot. Well, I know uh, I know the coaching conversation is already getting tiresome for some of you. So, I mean, pray that this maybe moves things along, but it remains to be seen. Okay, uh, some other minor Red Wings news. Sebastian Kosa continues his very interesting postseason. Posted a big shutout. Um, he seems to be teetering between like an 800s save percentage game or a shutout not much in between like i can see uh junior hockey at its finest yeah it's it's so hard to measure in the whl uh you know 21 safe shutout and then let in four goals on 30 shots and then you know two goals on 22 shots and then let in one on one goal on 20 shots that's a 950 but like 909 857 818 846 875 818 and then previous to that shutout shutout and then previous to that, 765 save percentage. So just kind of all over the board. Anyhow, the winning at this point is as much as you can hope for for Sebastian Kosa and the Oil Kings. The further he goes and the deeper he goes, the more of a look you get. And you want to see him get have that, that winning pedigree, especially in the junior game. 
And this stands to give Kosa a little bit better of a foundation to potentially come over to the AHL soon, which I think Red Wings fans would want to see, especially considering how high he was drafted. Uh, but we'll see. Anyhow, keep it up, Kosa. Hopefully more of the shutouts than uh, the other games, but a lot of them seem to be wins anyway. So um, the oil, oil kings keep on rolling. All right. Why don't we... Take a quick break here before we jump into the prospect profile by letting you know that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by our sponsor, the FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, they're a sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement in the game. There are so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. Plus, they're tons of fun with unique bet types like same game parlay and exclusive promos on the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winnings back safely in as little as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back inside credit if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get up to $1,000 back inside credit. What we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to you app today to get started with that risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-979, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. Okay. Never let it be said that uh, our opinions are hardened and aren't revisited because after the Cutter Goche prospect profile from a little while back, I think it was right after the episode was done recording, we had a conversation in the studio and I think I remember turning to you, Brad, and saying, was I too hard? Like, was I, did I come in way too harsh on Cutter Goche? Because I feel like maybe that's where we landed and we might have pigeonholed him started to take more of a look at Cutter Goche and, and watched, went back and watched the the tape that I had already seen and, and tried to find a little bit more. And, you know, there's been a lot more conversation around Cutter Goche as well. And he's turning out to be, in a lot of people's minds, a consensus top 10 pick. And a lot of that is driven by it seemingly NHL scouts and NHL minds thinking that he is almost definitely going to play as a center in the NHL. So with that guarantee and with the notion that this is potentially like ripe for someone that the Red Wings are going to consider at eight overall, considering team needs and also the talent that will be there, I think it's due time that we take a look back at Cutter Gauthier and and maybe um, maybe give him a, another go at a prospect profile. So why don't you start us off, Brad? Once again, I'm going to steal a football term here because this is the impression I'm getting when reading everything you were just talking about. You'll see a, a kid come out of college or high school in football and they'll go, all the tools, freaky athlete just has to put it all together. That seems like the consensus on Cutter Goche right now. You you can see it. It's not hard to imagine him being an I don't know about elite, but a a top line NHL player. He's not the fastest skater in the world, but he's solid. He's a solid skater. His shots unreal. His hands are good. Um, he can make plays. Like he, he can move the puck. He can find seams. He's not 
just pigeonholed as a shooter. That all being said, he sometimes pigeonholes himself as a shooter. He doesn't make the right decisions consistently. Uh, his compete's fine. Like he, he'll play a 200 foot game. There's no questions there. If you think he is going to put it all together, which admittedly, there's a very strong likelihood he will. Yeah. He's a no doubt top 10 pick. Like the, the tools are unquestionably top 10, but when you go from the USNTDP to the, to college, to the NHL, that is a lot of levels that you have to a correct your flaws, which he doesn't have many. I, I know I'm sounding overly negative here and it's not meant to be. Are those problems going to resolve themselves before? Is he going to resolve those problems before he gets to the NHL? And then when he gets to the NHL, are they going to resurface or can he smooth them out? And that generally just comes down to decision-making for him. It's great that he loves to shoot the puck and with his shot, he should be encouraged to shoot it a lot, but there is such a thing as too much. You just because you have a bad angle shot, you know, you put it high and wide, it rims the glass and now it's a two on one the other way. That is a reasonably common hockey play. Are you taking a shot from a less than desirable spot despite having another option? to move the puck and keep the play going. There's a lot of guys and it's a good trait to have where they just want to get to the puck, the puck to the net at all costs as quick as possible. And they lack the patience to, Hey, if I just put it back to my defenseman here, we can run a cycle, recalibrate and maybe something better pops up. He seems to pass those up from time to time. And I'm making this sound like this isn't every time he crosses the offensive blue line. That's not it. He's it's a sometimes problem. So, I fall in the camp of, yeah, I think he's going to work these flaws out. Yeah, I think his tools are going to translate up levels. And yeah, I think he's definitely worthy of a top 10 pick. Uh, coincidentally, I think in my rankings, he's going to probably drop somewhere between 7 and 10. So right in the Red Wings wheelhouse, um, which obviously means if the Red Wings pick him at 8, I am absolutely not upset. Um, probably one of the picks I'll like more. Uh, the most out of the options that'll be available. But like I said, it doesn't come without risk. Looking back at Cutter Goche, I'm wondering if I don't have a little bit of the same thing where I potentially, when I, when I first evaluated Brady Kachuk, I thought this is a guy who's doing a lot of things that make him NHL ready or make him attractive to scouts because it seems a little bit more immediate but his top end will be limited. And, and I think, you know, Brady Kachuk has, has made me uh, eat crow on that one, seemingly so far in his career, as he's done extremely well in Ottawa. And that might, I'm wondering if I don't have the same mentality in my initial approach to Cutter Gauthier. Like we talked about LeCaramaki and how his shot's phenomenal. And you remove some dimensions to his game to sacrifice for that, right? Like he has an unreal shot, but LeCaramaki's not going to be leading your PK. And he's not necessarily, necessarily playing a prime position in need for the Red Wings. Okay, well, you have Cutter Goche, who has a great shot. I wouldn't put it at LeCaramaki's level, but a fantastic shot. You need some refinement in terms of when you're using it, but you know the saying that we repeat a ton on the show: it's easier to tame a lion, or you'd prefer to tame a lion rather than paint stripes on a cat or whatever it is. Um, there's that, and he also plays a position of need 
He's responsible in both zones. He's big, but it doesn't come at the sacrifice of like he's this lumbering player where you're super concerned about his skating. His outside of his shooting, his offensive acumen is there. It's not otherworldly. It's not world class, but it's there and it's good enough where he can get the puck to the net or, you know, set up plays in the offensive zone reasonably impressively. I wish we had a look at him at Boston College next year playing center for, you know, a full season before evaluating uh, whether or not you want to draft him eighth overall. But I mean, then he wouldn't be probably be at eighth overall if that goes well. So that's just the catch 22 you're in. Looking at him, I'm kind of like, yeah, I think I was way too hard on him. I think this does make sense as a as a top 10 pick. And not only is he a likely pick for the Red Wings at eighth overall, I think he would be one of my preferred ones because it's kind of everything you're looking for if you're the Red Wings right now. Cutter Gauthier does enough in all aspects of the game where you're like, you're not picking him only because of his, he's a center, but it sure is a boost. It puts him in the sphere of everyone else, puts him in the same kind of tier. And, you know, if we're considering Marco Casper at eighth overall for the Red Wings, I don't see why Cutter Gauthier shouldn't be in that mix as well and maybe even preferred. And shout out here to Max Boltman. He was, I think, one of the first people to take Cutter Gauthier for the Red Wings in the in the a mock draft that he did. I mean, the biggest arguments against Gauthier really aren't going to have much to do with Gauthier. It's going to just be, is he my favorite player with who's available at eight? And the way a lot of lists are are falling, probably not for me, but like I said, he'll be in the range. I honestly, reading a lot of what I'm reading, I'm not, I think it's more likely than not, he's not even available at the Red Wings pick. So this might all be moot. He might be gone. I think this is, yeah, I think this is Mason McTavish 2.0. Yeah, yeah, you see, you see the traits and then, you know, the center, the people are saying he's going to be a center and it's likely that he's going to be a center. He's going to start rocketing up boards. And again, for all the positives I laid out, like the appeal is absolutely obvious. You know, obviously I've, we talk about, you know, the NTDP and I'm very high on Logan Cooley and Frank Nazer. And and honestly, Nazer might be my biggest argument against Gochape, like, and that might be it. Just because, well, if the Red Wings need a center, okay, well, the USNDP has been playing Nazer at center instead of Goche. And Nazer outproduced him comfortably this year while playing center. So that's the only knock I have on Goche is, yeah, I, I think there's a better option right on his own team, but he's still one of the best options in the draft. And honestly, one of the things, um, actually, the Red Wings specifically, the one appeal that should put Goche ahead of Nazer. The Red Wings severely lack shooters. Oh my God, they do not have outside of Rana. They do not have that guy that you can just give the puck to in the home plate area and be confident that puck's going in the net. Raymond's close. Um, if Zadina can ever figure it out, maybe Goche's that guy. So if they if they're like, screw this, we need someone to score. You know, I think you were talking about Merrick. Uh, saying this last episode, guys to just score easy goals, give them the puck near the net and let him rip it. Go chase that guy. He's that dude. Yeah, I think Cutter Goche for me, like, he might be one of the safest picks I think you could make. You know, if the stars align, he turns out to be a first line scoring, I think, winger. I, I don't think he would play first line center. I don't quite see it there. You know, worst, absolute worst case for him. I think he's a jack of all trades, third line center, like 
and he can move up and down the roster and that's a coach's delight so if you don't like anybody else at pick eight i can't see really a downside to picking him i mean he's he's got good skills for everything he's got a pretty solid 200 foot game I mean, he's not the most physical guy for being 6'3", but, I mean, he doesn't need to be. Uh, I think he's got a pretty solid game, and I think he would be a good pick at 8 if there's nobody else you like. It's a good point, Evan, in terms of safe versus, you know, swinging for the fences. There's some people who argue that Cutter Gauthier's upside is much higher than he's being given credit for. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, would also, they'd have just as strong of an argument. They'd say, okay, like you were saying earlier, Brad, Frank Nazer is a center who is perceived as risky, but he has a a world of skill. Or Matt Savoy, who we've been a fan of on this podcast, doesn't, likely won't play center because of his size, but has a world of skill. So consider Savoy and consider Nazer. And compare their upside to Gauthier. My question for both of you, Brad and Evan, is rank those players in terms of your preference as of right now. Preference right now, this moment, I go Savoy, Nazer, Gauthier. So, wow, you still have Savoy ahead of Nazer. And you're a big Nazer fan. I've never come down on Savoy. <laughs> yeah. The Just because... It seems like the rest of the hockey world has. I haven't, but I understand the positional preference. And out of the three of them, Savoy is probably the least likely to play center, which will factor in for a lot of people there. But right. yeah, I, I'm still a huge Savoy fan. And in terms of being more likely to play center, would you put Gauthier? It's safe to say Gauthier, Nazer, Savoy in that order. I would go Nazer, Goche, Savoy in that order. I mean, Nazer's been playing center ahead of Goche on the same team. And like I said, outproducing him while doing it. So there's no reason. There's absolutely no reason to this point to think that Goche is more likely center than Nazer when Nazer and Goche's own damn coach think Nazer's more of a center. And again, that's not a knock on Goche. They, ha- they can only put four guys at center on that team, and they're obviously not going to put a guy of Goche's talent level on the third or fourth line. So someone had to move. But the fact that this guy spent a full year with him and went, yeah, n- in terms of this, Nazer's that dude. I'm going to go with that until something proves otherwise. And again, even take away the fact that he's five foot nine, every aspect of Frank Nazer's game screams center. Well, it looks like we have a little bit of a tier, a pool of players that um, are likely to start forming in and around an eighth overall pick. So we'll see how that turns out. I agree with you, Brad, earlier, though. I, I think a lot of this, the revisiting on Cutter Gochi might be for moot because if NHL scouts are certain he's going to play center, that means he is going to rocket up draft boards. My hot take that is that he's gone by Philly's pick, if not with Philly at Philly's pick. So we'll see how that goes. If, if he makes it past, Philly, this he screams Ottawa to me. Like he he's interesting. Ottawa likes these types, those those freaky big athlete types. Okay. Let's get talking about the NHL playoffs because here we have our annual tradition of 
Somehow, despite everything Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl have done, the Edmonton Oilers are out of it once again, swept by the Colorado Avalanche. Yes, I wish I could have changed my original opinion of I'm going to stop betting against Connor McDavid um, because I should have. Four straight games, Colorado. I don't want to say dismantled Edmonton because I don't think it was like that the entire time. Like the, the game four winner was in overtime. You had some wild back and forth. There were some really close marginal calls. You had, you know, a lot of swings in the game with, you know, Edmonton scoring and then Evander Kane taking a major penalty right after. Kind of a wild series that you could easily have seen going to six, but I don't think anyway this would have shaken out would have been anything other than a Colorado win. So Colorado in the cup finals, a lot of people would have called it. They're likely the best team in the playoffs right now. What does this mean for Edmonton? Because man, again again with a brutal disappointment in the playoffs considering everything else i don't know if we can call it a brutal disappointment this is further than i think most people thought they were going to get so i'll get i'll get the positivity out of the way early because i'm i'm absolutely here to roast the oilers but the the positive outlook first is edmonton was dealing with a legit holy shit ton of injuries two key players darnell nurse playing with a torn hip flexor Dry side with a high ankle sprain. Uh, Pooley Arvey had something with his shoulder, and obviously Yamamoto had the concussion, and there were some other ones beyond that. That's a lot of key injuries to key players. Sucks. The main reason the Oilers lost this series was because they were playing the Colorado Avalanche. They were playing an absolute wagon. I don't know if there's anybody in the Western Conference who really stood much of a chance against Colorado and Edmonton. Though they didn't put up much of a fight, it didn't look completely outclassed. A lot of that having to do with having a Connor McDavid. But once again, predictably, all of the Oilers' flaws came to light when playing a good team. Mike Smith was terrible in that series. Uh, Their defense could not contain Colorado's top players, not even a little bit. They couldn't contain most of their depth players. JT Comfer and Arteri Lekkonen had a series. Conversely, Colorado's depth players performed very well. Edmonton's, I'm not sure, were there. This series, while I don't think most people thought would end in a sweep, for the most part went exactly how people would thought. McDavid played great. Dreisaitl played great. They Tried to drag this team kicking and screaming, but the sheer volume of stars and depth on Colorado just proved to be too much. Well, interesting about Colorado is they're now going to have to face either a twice defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning who got past a tough challenge with the New York Rangers or the New York Rangers who found it in them to defeat the aforementioned twice defending Stanley Cup champion. So it's not going to be an easy task. Um, and they're going to have to do that without Nazem Kadri. It looks like he's out for the playoffs after that Evander Kane uh, board, uh, which he got a game suspension for. And they're going to have to do it likely without Samuel Gerrard as well. So they every team has these injuries, but those are two key players. And then, of course, uh, they're they're playing with their backup, um, Fransos and Nett, who's, who's been great, but it's still a backup in Nett. It's not Darcy Kemper like you were planning on. So it's not going to be easy for them. But still, well-deserved, and they've been, like you said, Brad, a wagon. But yeah, Edmonton, you had Leon Dreisaitl putting up like 32 points at the high ankle sprain. Like he, he would look terrible one shift, and at the end of the night, he'd have five points. 
and Connor McDavid with 33 points. This is all with two rounds plus four games. Like this, those would be numbers that would be automatic Con Smythe with an extra series tacked on in terms of games played. The Edmonton Oilers, like Mike Smith is a microcosm of the Edmonton Oilers. You are either getting like otherworldly, insane, I can't believe what I'm watching talent that saves games, or oh my God, what are you doing? Like, how did that puck go in? I can't believe how much you suck. Holy shit. <laughs> like, it, it, he is an encapsulation of the way the Edmonton Oilers are built. And, and Ken Holland has a lot of questions coming up on him now. We'll see how he navigates the offseason. That Darnell Nurse contract is going to be a stinger. I know he was injured. They said he had a torn hip flexor, which if you ever if you ever even tweaked your hip flexor, you know how uncomfortable that is. So the Oilers are going to hope that affected his play, and that's not the actual Darnell Nurse that they're going to see for the next 100 years. Um, but yeah, there's going to have to be some surgery. Red Wings fans will kind of cringe at the fact that it's going to be Ken Holland having to do that surgery. Uh, but I don't know, different situation. We'll see what he does. He had some not convincing words about Jesse Pugliarvi today, which might make you think he's he's going to be available. Holland wants to re-sign Evander Kane. Is pool party on the block? And is that a target for the Red Wings just to bring it back full circle? You should be. Because what's a Ryan, I'll ask you, what's rule number one to being a good NHL GM? Get good players. Call the bad ones a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> so after that, uh, those pool Yarvi comments, Steve Eisman should have already been on the phone with Ken Holland because. I don't think Pugliarvi will be super expensive, and I don't think Pugliarvi is ever going to live up to his uh, number four overall pick. I don't think he's that guy. Still a good player. Still a usable middle six winger who, relevant to the Red Wings, shoots right, which still seems to be an annual need. But yeah, if you can drop Pugliarvi onto the third line right now and pick him up for a second, third round pick plus prospect, maybe in that range. That'd be a pretty good ad for the Red Wings. Yeah. You know what's interesting about Paul Yarvi is he's already done this whole dance of being available. He went back to Liga and uh, when it seemed like he wasn't going to get the playing time with the Oilers and a lot of NHL teams were calling about Jesse Paul Yarvi and Ken Holland for almost publicly not liking the player or what he was doing, held strong. He was like, we're not going to take a low ball offer. We're going to get this guy back on our team or we're going to get him in in a productive way. And I mean, credit to him, they did. Yeah, he's not burning, uh, setting the world on fire. He had 36 points in 65 games this past season. But still, like you said, a productive middle six winger, a guy who has a spot on that Oilers team, um, wasn't great over the playoffs, but very few Oilers actually were great over the playoffs. He's someone, if he could be had cheap, absolutely would be happy to bring him in. I I wouldn't think it would be expensive. Here's the thing, though. If it has to be expensive, I don't overpay for Pugliarvi, in my mind. You get him if you can pry him away. I think there's going to be quite a bit of bidding. I don't think this is going to be as low-brow or low-key as last time he was on the block. I think most NHL teams are going to at least kick the tires on this one. That's the impression I get, at least. Yeah, like, he's a, a half-point-per-game player. He's wildly inconsistent, but he's got all the tools to still improve. Like, I, I think Edmonton could sign him cheap, and they would be 
if the return if they do trade him and the return is low, that is a massive mistake by Edmonton. Shoots right. Red Wings would love that. It's important to the team right now, so we'll see. I I I mean I dunk on the Oilers a lot because it's funny. Um but are they coming to a reckoning here? Let's say let I, I know it's dramatic, and I know we do this quite a bit, and I know this is further than they made it any other year, but they really can't afford to come into next season's playoffs with anything other than this plus some, right? If they take a step back, Connor McDavid won't abide by that. He's already 25 years old. He's not going to abide by a first round exit or a second round exit next year. He's going to want to be in Colorado's position. That takes a long time to build up. I don't think Edmonton's there, but he's going to want to be at least given the opportunity to do what he did this year and drag them to Colorado's position. It's got to be Ken Holland's ass on the line if you're if you're Edmonton's ownership or Edmonton's upper administration here to make sure that happens because you can't have Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl combining for sixty five points through two rounds plus four games and losing getting swept in the conference final. It, you just cannot have that next year. To me, it all starts with finding a starting goalie who is has any amount of consistency. That that honestly is where it starts. Like they got the supplemental scoring. Zach Hyman had ten goals in the playoffs. Um, Evander Kane was Evander Kane for good and bad. <laughs> um, they had it all there. They were just maybe a couple extra players and a quality starting goalie from tr- giving Colorado at least making that at least a coin flip. Billy Huso strikes me as someone that they should target. I know he had a rough postseason, but even to give him a little bit more stability during the regular season, depending on how much money they can afford there, they, that strikes me as a team that needs a reliable tandem. Like consider Huso and I don't know a ten years younger version of Mike Smith or something. Like, you need something where you have a couple options in the playoffs, and you're not just getting like they had to go back to Mike Smith four times, four times because what was their alternative? Koskinen. And if they went to Koskinen and that worked, that would actually have been more insane than playing Smith and that working. So I don't blame them for going back to Smith, but they you're right, Evan. They need better options. A lot of credit to Cody Cece in the season he had. I don't that's a version of Cody Cece that I didn't think we'd see, but they'd have to hope that they continue to see Cece do that. I'm not doing this pun on purpose. You need progression from Evan Bouchard. You gotta hope Broberg factors into your lineup in a big way, and and you need Darnell Nurse to be worth the entire nine and a quarter million dollars you're playing you're paying him for the next half century so going back to the pulley everything real quick another reason why i wouldn't understand for them to trade him other than dollars is didn't they just repair that relationship i mean if he wants out he wants out like there's nothing you can do about that but if you're going to go through the effort of not trading him and trying to make it work why would you all of a sudden now trade him i mean Unless the dollars don't work or there's a massive return coming, the whole thing doesn't really make sense to me from an Edmonton perspective, but almost nothing has made sense to me from an Edmonton perspective for a long time. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot, right? They have Kyler Yamamoto to do who has Arbrights. Puliyarvi has Arbrights. Ryan McLeod. Uh, they have Evander Kane who they want to sign. There's a lot coming up for them to that they have to navigate. Again, I'm not just trying to dunk on Ken Holland for the sake of doing it, but 
Red Wings fans are watching this one a little bit with their teeth gritted because what version of Ken Holland are you going to get? Well, Edmonton's lucky in the fact that they've got two of the best players in the world. And hopefully that entices some players to take a bit of a discount. If it was me, absolutely not. I would be taking that live live golf tour cash and, and running out the door. Hopefully that can help entice guys to take a bit of a discount. I don't know if they will, and I don't blame them if they don't, but they've got some leverage and some cards up their sleeve that they can play. In the interest of don't let your memes be dreams, there is a silver lining because if it continues to fail, then we can make halfway serious. What would it take to trade for Connor McDavid trade proposals? So for all your sakes, hope that we don't get there because that will be the most stupid of content. Um, very quickly before we jump into overtime here, Florida's head coaching situation is interesting. Jeff Blaschel's name was mentioned by Elliot Friedman today as someone to keep an eye on in the Florida situation. So yeah, so Florida doesn't have an agreement to in place to bring back Andrew Burnett, and it doesn't look like something that is, you know, a done deal to say the least. So we'll see what they do. Maybe they feel like they have a team that should have gone further. I mean, obviously, they felt they should have been cup competitive. He came in to take over for Joel Quenville halfway through the season. Some people are going to say he did what he could. He got them, you know, he got them to do what they did over the course of the season. President's Trophy winners, fantastic. But in the playoffs, they didn't get it done. So if they're not coming to terms, then they're going to want to find someone else. And yeah, Jeff Blaschel's name was brought up today. So you imagine. They've hired Jeff Blashill and they win the Stanley Cup. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> like first That's season. how I will know for sure our timeline has split once again. Yeah. First season, Jeff Blashill wins the Stanley Cup, just gets the absolute most, wins the Jack Adams. Somehow he wins the Conn Smythe. Absolutely. You'd have to get the phrase... But we didn't have Huberto Barkov or Ekblad tattooed on you somewhere because you're going to have to repeat it so damned much. Brad, you'd have to put that on a banner in front of your house. The listeners would find out where you live. You would need to put it as like a, a on a, um, a a horn in front of your house, like a megaphone just playing on repeat. I would just have two banners hung behind me here. One of the Panthers roster, one of the Red Wings roster, and I just sit like this the whole episode. <laughs> we'll see. I mean... I'm I'm actually very curious to see it because like you've you're alluding to here, Brad, Blashill for all of his faults or perceived faults, depending on where you fall, never really had a great roster to work with. Florida's in an interesting situation. They're going to have to make some moves to make that roster work slash get better to compete with those cup competitive teams that we're seeing in this cycle right now. I'm curious to see what he can do. It would be a almost like it would be a, a massive shock to his system to come in and have you know, a hundred point winger on your second line. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh man. That is like the inverse of the Red Wings. Okay. It's not like Burnett was bad. It's just Florida absolutely lost their game when they came to the playoffs. And yes, you know, should Tampa fire John Cooper when Tampa gets swept by Columbus unexpectedly? I mean, there was always rumblings of that too, but if we're talking about replacing Burnett with, Jeff Blashill. I can think of four other coaches I would pick before him if if they're available. I can think of Trotz, Maurice, 
uh, Bruce Cassidy. Hell, I'd maybe even think about taking John Tortorella. And Mike Babcock. <laughs> okay, jokes and all. Both are two of the only names that I consistently still hear. Jim Montgomery, his name's been floating yep. around the NHL's coaching sphere again. Yep, like, why Jim. would you roll the dice on Jeff Blasher who hasn't done a damn thing in the NHL yet? I think it'd be fun. From that would be a Florida thing to do. Okay. Why don't we... Uh, oh, very quick note. P.K. Subban won the King Clancy Memorial Trophy uh, for his work off the ice and his humanitarian efforts. So good on P.K. And Arizona cleared a big hurdle with their um, the approval to start negotiating with the city of Tempe uh, for their arena proposal. So nothing is solidified yet. No ground has been broken. No hands have been shaken. Nothing signed, but they are moving towards potentially having an arena down the road. So big hurdle for, for the coyotes. And I mean, maybe in 12 years, they'll have something other than a college ring to play in. All right, let's get into overtime here, which is brought to us on this uh, midweek episode by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to help support the show, we promise you that zero of your dollars go to funding Evan's golf trips. That comes purely from his billionaire. Um, what do you call it? Trust fund, whatever Brad and I had to My uh, nest egg. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but genuinely it all goes to making us able to do things like record remotely and get an episode out. Even when one of us is deathly ill, Brad, you look like you're in tragic shape and, and allow us to continue. I really hope, I really hope the camera doesn't pick up how much I'm sweating right now. <laughs> <laughs> Your head is glossy and it allows us to it's continue bad. prospect profiles and things for the off season. So thank you all so very much. Uh, and we're going to get started here with some of your questions uh, on Patreon. Connor Duke says, Vrana or Raymond, who has more goals next season? And does any D-man score half as many points as Cider? Strictly goals, I'll say Vrana. And does any D-man get half of what Cider has? I'll say one. Simon one? Edmondson. Ooh, Heronic. He's always Edmondson could be a good bet on that too. But no, Heronic's all consistently around a half a point per game. So unless Sider's literally putting up eighty, Heronic will probably get around at least half. I'll agree on Verona, uh, having just by a hair more goals than Raymond. And I will say that no defenseman by the end of the season will have half as many points as Cider because hot take, Hrona gets traded before the end of the season, just to mix it up. Okay, uh, next comment here from Cody Stark says, hear me out, just playing devil's advocate. Um, for Wings fans wanting Bruce Cassidy, he's had three players under his tenure who have come out and publicly bashed him in his style of coaching. Snishin, Richie, and Bates Battaglia. His beef was from 20 years ago. Yes, people change. These complaints didn't get much uh, media coverage or discourse, so we must uh, just forget about it. And those three players aren't stars, so they're probably lying. Yet, we must shoot Babcock to the abyss for being mean to Franzen and Marner. This is all said sarcastically, but it sheds some light on fan and media hypocrisy, in my opinion. I know they're different situations but they are similar yeah I, I think there's a lot of conforming information to what we want reality to be and there is a good point in there in that if we're going to be really hard on the idea of mike babcock coming back then there has to be a, a focus lens on 
what the story is here with Bruce Cassidy and why the Bruins let a coach of his caliber go. I agree that they're not the same situations, but I understand the point being made. I, I can't call it crazy. It well depends because context matters. Like Mike Babcock was, you know, straight up being a bully for lack of a better term. If Bruce Cassidy is a very demanding coach and these players just did not like that style, like if he wasn't specifically attacking them and harassing them and yeah, then it's a completely different thing. But if he was doing similar tactics and yeah, but until we get more information about specifically what they didn't like, it's hard to compare the two situations because it could be identical and it could be just players, for lack of a better word, being soft. Like we don't know. Um, okay, why don't we take one here from the big con dog says, what is one consensus top prospect from this draft you think has no right being ranked as high as they are by others? Thanks so much for the two week episodes, even during the off season. Stay fresh cheese bags. Like that's tough to say. Cause you know, my the one that immediately jumped to mind for me was Connor geeky, but there's a lot of outlets that have him like low twenties, high teens. So that's, I don't think I'm on an island there. I think a lot of people agree with that. I don't know. There's none that really jump out to me this year. Like I'm just kind of going through the amalgamation of a lot of the rankings and it all looks fairly reasonable. Yeah. The amount of variance makes it so if you called out one player for being too high, you could point to 10 other mocks or or rankings that have them where you probably think you should go. I'm going to tweak the question a little bit. I've seen some conversation about Cutter Gauthier cracking top three. To me, I, I don't see how he could stack up against Wright, Cooley, or Slavkovsky. I'm not saying it's impossible that he ends up being in that tier of player, but as of what we know right now, I, I would be surprised if a team is seriously considering him there. Um, I could see anything anywhere from four onwards, and I would not roll my eyes at it. But if you're going to pass on, say, Logan Cooley for a Cutter Gauthier, I would certainly hope that your scouting team knows something that others don't, which isn't impossible. This is a Red Wings podcast where we just talked about Maurice Sider and his Calder season, but still, that to me is one where I, I can't really get behind it right now. It's Cutter Goche top three. All right, uh, let's take one here from Tim Henderson. Says, which player should the Red Wings get this offseason that would be a cap dump for the other team but could actually help the Wings in the next year or two? What would those trades look like, and do you think any actually happen? Uh, This is going to be a tough summer for those to actually happen. Um, I think we – did we talk about this last episode? It would be Sean Monaghan for me. Position of need. Calgary's going to need the cap space if they want to keep Goudreau and obviously Matthew Kachuk and Andrew Mangiapane are RFAs who are due for big raises. So that seems like the best option. Uh, Monaghan probably still has some appeal around the NHL, depending on if Calgary's willing to retain salary or not. That strikes me as a deal of here, you can have him, rehab him, good luck, or if they're going to take him at full salary, yeah, here's a mid-round pick. Good luck. Um, Yeah, Monaghan's a poster boy for that. Mrazek's another one where it could make a lot of sense. I don't think it would help the same way that Monaghan has a potential to, but Mrazek's kind of a spastic goalie, like a little bit all over the board. So could come in and be not terrible as a, as a number two to Nindelkovic's number one next season. Um, okay, this one is from 
kind of a fun one from Babe Landeskog. Who are some pro athletes that you've met any sport, any gender, and who are some pro pro athletes you'd like to meet must be living? I will say I would love, for those who know me know I'm a massive, massive Rafael Nadal fan. He's one of my favorite athletes of all time. Just one. Is it because you both are uh, have a receding hairline? All right, folks. <laughs> thanks for tuning into this episode. <laughs> I liked it better when you were gone, man. Oh, I'm sorry. That was too good. I, I, had, did, I couldn't resist. I did tee that one up for you. Um, I'm going to go egg your house later. And you've made the mistake of telling me where you live. Uh, I don't know how to come back from that because Rafa's hair, you know, <laughs> there's so much talk about Rafa's hair too. And they're just like, oh, really? Yeah, because he used to have this like beautiful, long, luscious, like, you know, yeah, Spanish did. tennis king hair. And now it's just like he's like me in 10 years. He's just hanging on to what he has. The poor guy. <laughs> Rafael Nadal, in my mind, the tennis goat. I'm going to go sob now. You two answer. Did, did the athlete have to be from another sport? It could be anyone. Any sport. Okay. I'm going to stick with hockey. Boring answer. Um, just because I, there are so many questions I have about when he defected, contract negotiations, current times. I, I need to have a long conversation with Sergey Fedorov one day. The, the stories that guy must have are unbelievable, must be unbelievable. I'll do Tiger Woods because speaking of stories he must have, Tiger Woods probably has the craziest. Next to John Daly. (laughs) None of us are worthy. Uh, Okay. And last question here I think is actually really good to to talk about. And I like these kind of questions because it keeps us – keeps us honest and keeps us uh, talking about what listeners are hearing, especially if they're not really – if they don't have – they haven't been listening a long time and they don't really understand the deeper meaning or context behind what we're talking about. So, And I'm Derek says, hey, guys, as we do the draft previews and player analysis – you say a few things that I don't – you keep saying a few things that I don't understand. Can you explain why goalies are unpredictable, why finding a center is so difficult, why player positions are unknowns coming into the draft? I just don't understand how you can grow up playing a sport and not know that. So it's a good question that has – they have a lot of uh, long, complicated, nuanced answers. I'll start with goaltending. I think goaltending positionally is a position that evolves more than we've given credit for has fewer resources put into evaluating it and its development path is a little bit atypical to the point where at draft age, I think it's really hard in my mind to discern who's actually going to end up being a great goalie versus not. A lot of it is mental and okay, you can establish a guy's size and you can establish what his you know lateral movement is, or you can establish the way he, uh, he plays his blocker or his glove hand or whatever. But how are you going to know that he won't have the mental capacity to stand up to 82 games or, you know, a 30 game postseason or whatever? Uh, it, that's the kind of thing that also gets in the way. When we say goaltending is voodoo, it's not that it's impossible. I think there's a real lack of, of true understanding for various reasons. Because goaltending is 95% mental. Um well, obviously, you have to be athletic to be a goalie, but the variance between athleticism between the worst goalie in the NHL and the best goalie in the NHL isn't as stark as the best centerman and the worst centerman in the NHL. Because all goalies can go east, west, up, down. They can, you know, move their blocker, catch or whatever. It's such a 
technically precise precision. Precision. Oh God, I can't talk. I am literally losing my voice. Anyways, that even being off mentally a little bit can screw you. Like, look at Mike Smith. Athletically, one of the most gifted goalies in the NHL. He can still move like this in his 40s. It's unbelievable. But he's good for a meltdown every game, it seems. So that that's why. And with positionality, it's specifically with centermen, you have to be able to do everything. You have to be able to score, be a, a goal scoring threat. You have to be able to distribute for your wingers. You have to be dis- defensively responsible because that's just the way the position is. You have to be able to transition the puck because you're probably going to be the primary trans- puck transporter when you're on the ice. That's just the nature of the position. So, you know, when we're talking about centers and I was talking about how uh, Goche tends to shoot too much. Can't do that if you're a center. You you have to be able to utilize your wingers because you are the center of everything that's happening on the ice, hence the name of the position. So some guys don't realize their centers until later because they were never utilized as that. Because, you know, a guy like Cutter Goche, he's such a shooting specialist that, yeah, of course his coaches are going to use him where he can rely on that, which is at wing. But you know, his tools do translate to center. So eventually the tools are going to determine where he plays when he reaches his absolute peak. Um, and again, there's variance in leagues, levels, and coaching, right? A guy who is naturally and his talents fit as a center, but he's playing three levels above because, you know, he's in a smaller country or he's just that talented. He might get played at the wing because that team's already got four very well-established 30-year-old centers. So there's so much that goes into it, but it, it basically comes down to tools and traits and what development path did you follow? The only thing I'll add to that, Brad, is – the pro game adds elements that you can't replicate during their development. The AHL and the NHL, of course, to the biggest degree you'll find in the world, the time, the space you have are gone. So everything that you is already really difficult to do that Brad just mentioned at the center position, you will have to now do it quicker, more accurately, more consistently, and with better execution. And guys, sometimes guys can do that already. You know, they come in their phenoms and they can play center right away. Sometimes guys, they have to develop into it. They start off as wingers until they figure out the pace of the game, until they figure out their gap control, until they figure out, uh, you know, the, the quick decision making. And then they can be flipped back to the center position, which is why sometimes you see the wing back to center uh, transition over their development. And sometimes guys just can't make the adjustment. Sometimes that their development has stopped short of what they need to be able to do those things that Brad mentioned with the lack of, of time, with the lack of space, with those hard, grown-ass pro men hitting you every time you have the puck trying to enter the zone. It's hard. Um, and it's this bottleneck that you can make your best guess. And I think we're getting better and better at evaluating that. But it's even even the pro of all pros would tell you that it's not a perfect science. Uh, and then I just want to take two more questions here, both from Stay Fresh Cheese Bags. He says, did my comment make it? Did I get my comment in on time? Joseph, no, actually you didn't. Unfortunately, your comment didn't make the episode. So better luck next time. 
All right, folks, we're going to wrap up this episode here. Hopefully we're back in studio for you next episode on Sunday, but thank you all so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Uh, like we've been saying before, if you want more ways to support the show, we're on socials. We're on, uh, besides Twitter, we're also on Instagram. We're on TikTok. So if you're on either of those things, go give us a follow. We are posting some clips and some reels from the episode. Some serious, some not. It's good fun. Um, and if you also want to support the show in another way besides Patreon, uh, leaving the show a rating wherever you listen, iTunes, especially Spotify, that kind of thing makes a massive, massive difference to us. So thank you to all of you who have done that. To all of you who have listened, the FanDuel Sportsbook for sponsoring the show and our name level patrons, we thank you so much. Arjun Shanker, Yves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Aikfer, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan Hannes, Banana Slam and Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, Brandon M., Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chumbawamba, not Chumbawamba, Citizen High Five, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Doesn't Tuesnet, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Greech, Helm was held back by Blashill, Hassam Al Qasem, I Leave My Wife for Cider, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, uh, Matt McKay, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Sean Levine, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Zach Spring, Sam Bankson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Adam Now I Finish Better Than Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Parking Garage, Evans Bingo Card. I miss Evans' rich man laugh. <laughs> if you listened this far, congratulations. James uh, Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Maximilian Cheesebags, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Revy DeLuca, Trevor Pevavar, Wish.com, Shea Weber, Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much. We're going to go take Brad to the hospital, I think. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.